The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 13, reading verses 11 to 14, and I invite your uh, reverent attention and hearing and faith, uh, the word of the Lord from Romans 13. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Warren Buffett, the uh, famous uh, investor, uh, once said uh, regarding uh, the field of investing that we will not know who is swimming naked until the tide goes out. Obviously, his context is when times turn bad, it will expose those who have Uh, made bad investment decisions. But uh, the point for us this morning is that the greater eschatological reality is that in the second advent, uh, Christ will come and reveal all things. Nothing will be hidden. Everything will be exposed. Uh, And therefore, how we are arrayed when he comes is of manifest importance. And Paul is going to give us a measure of that in some negatives, what we should not look like, and then what we should look like. Uh, So that uh, our conduct is to manifest the significance of uh, the end times and the coming of the Lord. In uh, verses 11 to first part of verse 12, uh, we have uh, admonition from the apostle Uh, where he reminds us that the times in which we live are to govern our conduct. And so we read, knowing the time, or I prefer the translation, because of the time. Because of the time in which we live. The reference, I believe, is to the eschatological consummation that there's no other event whatsoever between the present time now and the coming of Christ, unknown to all of us. And so the significance of the times, therefore, becomes manifestly critical. Uh, The New American Standard has uh, an implied, it's not in the text, it's an implied imperative, uh, do this referencing the conduct, I think, specified in the previous context. And what is in the previous context? Well, the majesty of love. Love within the church and the love of the church to those outside the church. as an expression, if you will, of provision of heaven in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know the reference to time is eschatological because Paul defines it for us in the text. Uh, The hour for you to be awakened from your sleep. 
implied inference is when the Savior comes, you don't want to be caught napping. Certainly don't want to be caught asleep. Uh, sometimes this reference to the times speaks to our regeneration. Uh, for example, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul writes in that text, For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. It's a summons of the gospel to wake up, uh, and Christ will uh, shine upon us. If you will, an invitation to come to the Savior. Uh, acknowledge that you are improperly dressed and you need an alien righteousness which only he can provide. That he does provide to those who are his own. And the great blessing, Christ will shine upon you. Now, if you're here this morning, for whatever reason, not a Christian, it's, it's a verse directed, uh, of course, to you. But uh, the reference here in Romans 13 is a pejorative one. Uh, because I believe spiritual apathy and lethargy has crept into the church. It's a very common, very common disease. Uh, it's also a very dangerous disease. Uh, in light of the times, it's a very dangerous condition because it means that drift begins to set in. Reminded of the famous words of Winston Churchill that uh, he once said of the politicians uh, in the United Kingdom uh, prior to the Second World War that uh, they were adamant for drift. Despite all of the warnings of the rearming of Nazi Germany, the politicians were drifting. I mean, think about it. what a time not to drift when uh, Nazi Germany was rearming itself to the teeth, preparing for what? Incredible, horrible advent of the Second World War. But the politicians in Churchill's day were adamant for drift, drifting along as if nothing at all was happening. Parallel to our age of spiritual drift, uh, in light of the eschatological reality of the coming of the Lord of glory. Uh, as in the days of Winston Churchill, the moral will to prepare was not there. And sometimes when spiritual lethargy sets in among God's professing people, uh, their will begins to um, be diluted. And moral will is imperative in light of the day, the times, uh, the second advent, the coming of the Lord of glory. And sometimes we too drift, irrespective of the hour. We get swept up in the events of the day and uh, perhaps place uh, wrong priorities on preparation, uh, things that we perhaps give our heart to. Uh, but here the reminder is to stir us to be awake. eschatological marker, as I've suggested. Let me give you another couple of eschatological markers that should stir us to be awake in light of the times. If you would turn with me to 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Sometimes throw a bower socks. I mean, 
mean, you're like a fireman always turning on the alarm bells. You know, I'm more like Alfred E. Newman, what me worry. No big deal. Tomorrow will be just like today. Well, in 1 John 2.18, the apostle says, Children, notice the eschatological marker. It is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen, and from this we know it is the last hour. So the importance of the time to the Apostle John was validated by the presence of many Antichrists that are harbingers that greater danger is uh, yet to come. It's another eschatological marker in chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, um, John is giving us the understanding, as Christians, that Satan has flooded the church with counterfeits. And that's why we need to be awake with will to prepare, to continue to prepare. Because you uh, caught with counterfeits, you're going to be in a bad way. I think in 1 John 2, verse 18, where there's an eschatological marker of the last times, uh, there's an allusion to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Uh, by allusion, uh, I believe that John has Daniel in mind. So again, turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 12. Uh, very interesting, in 1 John 2, uh, the apostle uses the word uh, our. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Daniel 12.1, uh, the authors of the Septuagint also use the word our. It's not in the Hebrew text, but oftentimes the apostles used the Greek translation. But in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, uh, now at that time Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as has never occurred since there was a nation until that time. So again, another eschatological marker in the context is tribulation. Trouble's going to come. Not political trouble, not economic trouble, not warfare, sense of physical warfare, but incredible spiritual danger. Where? In the church. Because of counterfeits. It's very interesting. We have a great reminder here of the grace of God. Uh, to protect God's people at that time. Uh, and the great prince who stands guard over the sons of God. I would remind you, if you're a Christian, you know the Savior. You came to faith because of his grace. If you are faithfully serving the Savior as you should be, it's because God has continued to guard you with the forces of heaven to keep you and preserve you. Michael, the great archangel, 
It's just such a force, standing guard uh, over the people of God. But again, I, I awaken you to the danger of this phrase, last hour or last time, uh, because it does reference tribulation and the sifting of God's covenant people. Uh, look, if you will, at Daniel chapter 12, verse 10. It's a reason to be awake. It's a reason to be clothed properly. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. The wicked are those in the covenant community who are playing God's faults. And that's always dangerous ground. It's an end product, I think, of terrible spiritual drift. When you say things like, oh, going to church and hearing the word and taking the sacraments, I know it's important, but I'll get around to it next Sunday. Uh, or maybe uh, next month when my calendar is clear and I have time. It's a reminder that erosion sometimes is a very deadly disease. We, we think of the wicked as someone else. Uh, certainly that's not a reference to people in the church, but it is a reference to the covenant community who are playing God false. The entire context of Daniel chapter 11 and 12 demand that. Reminder of a sifting. And that men and women are being driven to one side or the other. The wake and those who are nodding off. Preparing for a long winter nap when terrible danger is about. The wise man or woman understands the times and resists compromise, stays awake. Remind you of, of uh, what they look like when the Lord of glory comes in the second advent. Go back to verse 1, Daniel chapter 12. And everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. All of the elect of God from eternity past, written, if you will, metaphorically speaking, in an eternal book of redemption, the angels have kept and guarded. And when the danger becomes intensified as it will, the prophet gives us an incredible element of comfort and encouragement because they will be rescued and none will be lost. What a reason to be purified. If you're not a Christian to come to faith because you won't be rescued and the tide will simply sweep you away. So it's important to understand the times, these great eschatological markers, even in the danger of the times in our own country. So that Paul, like Daniel, is provoking us to faithfulness and implicitly warning us not to get involved in spiritual drift because currents may eventuate in ruin. And I remind you, drift in a nautical setting is a, an event of great danger. A nautical metaphor. If you're in the open seas and you have no power, 
uh, in either your engine room or your sails, you're, you're in a very dangerous way. Because eventually the currents will carry you to ground and perhaps even uh, on a reef and you will be shipwrecked. Paul uses that very metaphor of some men who turned away from him and their faith was shipwrecked. It's important to understand the times and to live in light of the end of the times. And this eschatological reality is uh, confirmed uh, in turning back to Romans chapter 13 in the explanation that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. It's the reason we're to know the times. Because salvation, the end time, the great last coming of the Savior to rescue His own is nearer than the time in which we first believed. I don't know when that day is. None of us do. I'm like you. I... Are we there yet? No, but it's almost. Continue to be faithful. The noun uh, has the definite article, the salvation, referencing the consummation of the eschatological reality, the coming of Christ. Paul reinforces this reality in the metaphor in verse 12 of uh, night and day. It's the night is almost over. It's almost gone. And the day is at hand. And the final day is near. You and I live in two realities. There's night and day. They're parallel events. I know they're not in the physical universe. There's sun goes down and it's dark. Sun comes up and there's light. It's parallel realities, spiritually speaking. Uh, and night is present. It's incredible evil, even within the church. It's growing, I think, more pronounced. Think of wokeness that's in the church. We know it's outside the church. That's a given. Greater danger is it's in the church. Men giving up their faith. Uh, men uh, playing God false. Denying the effects of uh, regeneration and the new birth. But Christ has come in light. And that's the parallel reality that's our great hope. John chapter 1, verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Many translations read, did not comprehend it. Uh, I, I prefer, could not overcome it. And in the presence of light, darkness always retreats. It never wins. In the spiritual reality, there's an incredible battle going on about us even as we speak this morning. Great forces are fighting to destroy the church as well as to protect the church. And light will win. We will be rescued, Daniel says. Incredible, implicit, if not explicit reason 
to not only come to the Savior, but to walk closely with him. Be very careful of coming in and out of events of the, of the night. Paul, Paul reinforces this, uh, reminding us that the final day is near. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you're all sons of light and sons of day. We're not of night or not of darkness. It's a tragic illustration of the professing covenant community in the Old Testament that gets uh, caught in drift. Uh, turn, uh, if you would, in your uh, Old Testament, the book of uh, Amos. Chapter 8. In verses... Uh, 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but rather for hearing of the word of the Lord. And the people will stagger from sea to sea and from north even to the east, and they will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. We're in that day-to-day, ladies and gentlemen. It's a famine, the Word of God. I mean, I understand there's Oklahoma churches on every corner. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about pulpits that are proclaiming the majesty and the beauty of the Word of the Lord. Holding to it as the Word of the Lord. Uh, the reference to people running to and fro is the reminder that when judgment comes, many will be caught unaware, and they'll run to and fro seeking for answers. But they will not find the answers. Because it's too late. By the way, that's one of the reasons you faithfully attend a church where the Word of God is honored. Because you're learning answers now. When the judgment comes, you're not caught unaware. You don't need to go running to your parents or running... Uh, to your neighbor next door saying, what does all this mean? You know what it means because of the majesty that the Scripture tell us what the times mean. Uh, The final verse in that chapter, really tragic, of those who are caught unawares, they will fall and not rise again. So get ready every day, little by little, and live in light of the times. And the judgment will not catch you unawares. Prepare every day. Remind you of the great parable of the ten bridesmaids. All ten were professing believers. Five of them are caught unawares. And the doors of the great celebration are shut. They knock, but they cannot enter. That's why we're committed to who Christ is and what he has done on the cross. 
what he has done in the dispatch of his great spirit to sanctify and to uh, keep his own, prepare them so that we're not caught unawares and we will faithfully wait for our Redeemer and be ushered into the great celebration when he comes to rescue his own. A reminder that the time should govern our conduct and we should live in light of them. Uh, second part of uh, verse 12 to uh, verse 14, returning to Romans uh, 13, uh, if these are the times in which we live, then we should uh, live properly. We should be dressed accordingly. And Paul here issues a series of uh, exhortations and imperatives to tell us how to live. Let us lay aside. I believe a better way to interpret this is put off. It's also going to tell us what to put on. Clothing metaphors. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 to 24, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new self in which the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Uh, you come to Christ, you have put off the dominion of the old man. And you put on Christ that's been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Because God only not, not only creates for us a cure of our legal liability before the King of Heaven, He begins to change us morally from the inside out so that we will look properly when the Savior comes for us. But again, I remind you the particular reference that Paul is using, Romans 13, is that some members of the church are adrift and in trouble. And so he exhorts them to put on the armor of light. Obviously a military metaphor. Uh, when soldiers are preparing for battle, they gear up, they begin to put on a certain equipment. Go to the arms room and check out their primary and maybe their secondary weapons. Put on body armor, helmet for their head. Now why is that? Because the battlefield is a dangerous place. The battlefield in which you and I live is a dangerous place. We're to put on the armor of light. I love the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 where Paul says, well, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely inspired for the destruction of fortresses. So that we remain ready in light of the times. Uh, very clear that uh, Paul is uh, dealing with Christian conduct here that's proper in light of the times. Because in verse 13, he repairs to uh, conduct 
with the verb to walk. The New American Standard has behave, it's literally walk. That, that we walk properly as in the day. Then he defines this with three pairs of parallel terms. Uh, the first two pairs are plural, encompassing numerous actions. Uh, the first pair uh, engages converting recreation to excess. Nothing wrong with recreation. But there is a line in which it becomes excessive. And Paul d defines that excessiveness here in the text. Carousing and drunkenness. Reminded uh, when I drive to church uh, quite often during the week, uh, certainly by God's grace on Sunday mornings. Uh, so I turn uh, north on May 63rd. I counted the other day. I passed seven weed stores. Seven? I mean, that's not like a 50-mile trip. I mean, seven? We really need seven? I was driving home from church one day, and I stopped at the light. I always get caught in the light. I always... Phil, don't say that. Turning left, so I'm caught there in the light, and my immediate right, there's a weed store. Sunday morning, uh, watch a guy gets out and uh, walking into the store, and he pulls out his wallet, looks in his wallet, and smiles. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. He's got enough to buy whatever. I don't know. I just... Like, we, we just uh, overrun with chemistry to suppress the reality of the day or whatever. So be careful converting it to excess. In fact, respecting those stores, drive on by. Pay them no mind. It's a place where the world goes. Uh, second pair, so apt for the culture in which we live. Uh, reference uh, sexuality, sexual promiscuity and sensuality. God has a proper place. It's called marriage. And you drift, you start drifting, you're very likely to cross one of those boundaries. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Happened to be in a favorite time of mine in terms of a form of entertainment. Uh, television, it's uh, Shark Week. I enjoy watching it. You may not. Maybe you've never seen it, but I just I enjoy watching big fish eat little fish. So, uh, you, you can pray for me. I... But you know what? In the spiritual world, Shark Week is every day. And they are about you. And it's very dangerous to be bleeding when it's Shark Week. It's a spiritual reminder to be very careful because of the realities that vie 
that desperately want to recapture you for the kingdom of darkness when you belong to the Savior. Of course, in the spiritual reality, they cannot. But in the world in which we live, there's always those temptations. There's always the struggle. There's always the fight. That's why the Lord teaches us to pray. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. The present evil that attempts to overcome us and sweep us away. Calling upon God to deliver that our hope is in him. Remind you of the great example that we have in Joseph. Genesis chapter 39. Potiphar's wife catches him. He flees because of the dangers of the time. He flees. Remind you of the great grace of God. All of us who know the Savior. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 I'll compress it. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Great provision of God for his people in dangerous times. And remember that Satan uses our culture to flood us with distractions and conduct contrary to who we are, to slowly weaken us to the erosion of the times that are always present. remind you of the words of one of the wisest men who has ever lived. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Because men fail internally long before they fail externally. And I'm using men generically. And spiritual failure can be a dangerous event. And so Solomon says what? Watch over your heart. Keep it. Keep it. Because out of it are the very issues of life. And the context is what? There's two women vying for the intentions of the young man. One of them knows where he goes and sets up shop and invites him to come in. Come, spend time with me. My husband's gone on a long trip, and he'll never know. Solomon says, don't turn in there, because that's where the dead live. Lady Wisdom calls to the young man, come to me, and I'll give you wisdom and grace and mercy. Those things that will protect you from the times. And give your heart to the knowledge of God and to the wisdom of Scripture. And you'll understand all the more the times and their danger. And hold fast all the more to the great Savior who holds you fast in His grace. Final pair has both the singular strife and jealousy. Again, interesting in the church, is it not? Oh, surely, there can't be strife and jealousy in the church. Yeah, there's always strife and jealousy. Yeah. One of my great illustrations here is Robert's Rules of Order. 
Written for what? Church meeting. If you've ever studied parliamentary procedures, Robert's Rules of Order is kind of the Bible. Not our Bible, but written for a church meeting. Say it not in Gath. Tell it not in Ashkelon. It's a reminder that because of Christ, we live in peace. Always something to be mad about. Always a pot to stir. In fact, it's true in the church at Rome, chapter uh, 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Jealousy and strife were present in the church of Rome. Paul says, turn away. Learn to do the best you can and move on. Work hard and don't envy others. God's always going to provide for you. There's always going to be hard times. He's always going to provide because God keeps his own. That's who God is. God is always faithful to keep his own because faithfulness and God go together. A reminder the dangers of the times that our hope is in God, his faithfulness. And in his time, he will care for you. I know some of you are saying, well, Phil, in my life, if you only knew, he sure seems to be slow. Well, he may be slow, but he's never late. From the negative, Paul turns to the positive and the final two imperatives engaging their, their participation. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Tide goes out. Wear Christ. So let his conduct be, be yours. Let your conduct identify you with him. Not the world, but with him. And this dress will see you through the time of judgment when the tide goes out. Secondly, make no provision for the flesh. This word make provision is a word that's only used here in the Greek New Testament. Basic ideas, foresight or forethought. The basis of the imperative is that Christ broke the dominion over the flesh over us, and though it is still present, it is no longer the controlling dominion over your life. And there we should make no plans or provisions for it in light of the times. Use forethought or foresight to that end. I can't go to that place because of what's there. I need to be careful of those friends because of the things that they do. Planning, using our minds in light of who we wear, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And like Shark Week, I remind you that Satan is an ambush predator. So be situationally aware all the time of who you are and what you're to be about. And I might add what awaits you when the Savior comes. And the Lord of glory. End of the age. So, if you have the proper forethought Paul is pressing you to 
govern your conduct in the present in light of the times and the coming of the Redeemer, where he will lay everything bare. Application for those of us who are Christians is to persevere in the faith. In the faith. Not a static concept. Protestant Reformation sola fides. Not a static concept. It's an everyday concept. We walk by faith every day, trusting the Lord of glory to protect and serve and to keep us, to cause us to persevere that he might work mightily to persevere within us. The faith, every day, to wear it, trust him in light of the times. If you're not a Christian, and tide goes out, you'll, you'll be in a bad way. Implicit summons, as I've suggested a number of occasions, Come to the Savior. Ask Him to be gracious. Ask Him to clothe you with His righteousness that will always withstand the final judgment. His righteousness will see you to the end. And the reminder to all of us that when the tide goes out, as it will, the only fashion that is acceptable is our identification with Christ, the Lord of glory.